Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, uh, the host of the Remnant Podcast. This is a long-awaited episode brought to you, by the way, by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We have back in our uh, swanky studios none other than the congressman for the uh, the, the Packers football organization, uh, Mike Gallagher. Great to see you, Mike. Jonah Goldberg, Jogo, as the kids <laughs> call you. Uh, it's good to be back. Joined by your... Uh, Trusty apprentice Jackie Butts. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, was Jogo and Butts ever like on the list to be the name besides the Remnant? Did that uh, not make the cut? Uh, no, because we're we're working on a thing with Netflix about a crime fighting duo named Jogo and Butts. Jogo and Butts. Um, but uh, that's that's a topic for another podcast. Um, so we should um we should recap here. The last time Mike was on, he kind of. He, he, it was kind of like this podcast was the Nakatomi Tower, and um, and he was Hans, what's his name, Hans Gruber, um, taking it over, and he just sort of became the host and started like wanting to talk about half baked ideas. Would you define how? How would you define half baked ideas? How would I define half baked ideas? Idea, I I sort of describe them alternatively as two beer ideas, like mm-hmm. ideas you would you sort of convince yourself of when you've. I had two yeah. four Packers game, uh-huh, uh-huh. but you're not yet ready to sort of write legislation that you would introduce right. on the House floor. So yeah. somewhere in between the realm of like, you know, I mean, they got to be partially baked, right? Right. Not fully baked. Right. Half baked. Right. And so, and so one of uh, one of one of the things which I've been saying is that I'm more partial to quarter baked ideas. Ooh, interesting. You know, sort of like what's the distinction? Though? Well, so quarter baked ideas have merits as an academic matter, right, or as a conversational matter, but really no chance of ever happening. So, like, um, I want a restoration of papal armies. Um, Really unlikely that's going to happen. Papal ninjas, I believe. Well, that's a subset. If we can't have full armies, Ah. then I, I I really don't understand the moral case for why... Like, they can't at least have papal special ops, mm. you know, who just sort of parachute into places where bad things are happening and do good stuff, right? I mean, why – why we that's what we want the blue helmets of the UN to do? What a moral authority does the friggin' UN have, right? I mean, the UN is just – it literally enshrines might makes right, right? The UN Security Council, which has veto power, is just run by the five most powerful countries in the world who have, you know, nuclear weapons or whatever – that doesn't give them any moral authority. And like, I'm not a, I'm not a Catholic, but you know the, the Vatican has some moral authority. Why why shouldn't they assert themselves? You know. I, anyway, I'm the, I'm less enamored of the Westphalian nation state system than you are and mm. some of my colleagues. And so that's another reason why you know restoration instead of the EU. What about restoration of the Austro-Hungarian Empire? Oh, interesting. That's about an eighth baked, right? Yeah. That's really not going to happen. Okay, so to graduate from eighth to quarter to half, half has to be at least somewhat. Plausible, right? It would require moving the Overton window to some place that it could actually be moved to. I think, right? And these are judgment calls, you know. So, like for years, I've been a champion of airborne laser volcano lancing. Um, You know, why do we have to wait for these things to erupt? Why can't we just sort of like lance the boil a little early and let off some pressure? But apparently, physics hasn't caught up to us yet on that one. This is like hoverboards. My uh, my nephew turned uh, ten. And or nine on Sunday. Well, I'm a bad godfather. I got him a gift. Don't worry. Uh, uh-huh. And he, he, his parents got him a hoverboard. 
And when they said it was a hoverboard, I'm like, sweet, we yeah. have hoverboard technology? Yeah. Turns out it's not actually, it's not back to the future. It's got wheels and it yeah. you know, hits the ground and stuff. So. We, do seem to be make, we do seem to be making progress on jetpacks. That's huge. Which I'm really looking forward <laughs> but to. But there's like, I think half the internet is like YouTube videos with uh, water jetpacks gone wrong and people yeah, yeah. just crashing into things. Yeah. Actually, in terms of YouTube videos of things gone wrong, look up videos of people deep frying turkeys. Because, <laughs> um, like, I, I am now obsessed with th- deep frying Thanksgiving turkey. I love it. It's great. But I'm so terrified of it that I, I, I did a lot of research to make sure I did it right the first time. And one of the big things that, first of all, a lot of people, they set up a big cauldron of boiling oil in their garages <laughs> or next to their wood siding, you know. And the other thing that they do is uh, they put the turkey still frozen. In the boiling oil, which immediately causes an enormous oil fire. Um, and so, like, lots and lots of house. I'm sure there's a f- massive folder at various insurance companies of, of, of deep fried turkey gone wrong kind of stuff. But, that, but we're, we're getting distracted by well, these. Can I make a disclaimer? Issues. Since I, I can already sense the direction this is going and the backlash I'm going to get, I just want like a. Disclaimer, for all the haters out there, uh-huh. we're going to have a little fun on this podcast. That's right. And I get that I'm a sitting member of Congress, uh-huh. a duty which I take very seriously. He does. He does. Yeah. But it's also important to have a sense of humor, and you need to approach half-baked ideas with a little little bit of fun. I would also right. say that as the left becomes very unfunny, dramatically unfunny— Actually— ideologically and philosophically opposed to funny. You can't be funny anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is the best weapon we have on the right. Like, it's to be funny and not take ourselves too seriously. I had, my first boss in Marine Corps said, take the mission but not yourself too seriously, and I've always tried to live by that. So to the haters and the losers uh-huh. out there, that's just a disclaimer I want to start this with. I think that's entirely fair, and and part of my reason for wanting to do this episode or being so excited to do this episode is that I've been told that the remnant is beginning too dour mm. and too depressing, and so this is an opportunity to... Uh, have a little more fun with things. And so we're not going to get deep into politics stuff, but I did want to ask you a couple quick questions before we get started. So among the congressional caucus, uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, among your fellow members of Congress, are there any who could beat you in a fight? Oh, interesting. Um, Well, certainly it depends on what, like just straight up brawl. Straight up. Go time, but you can't take them by surprise, right? Okay, well... (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a fair fight. I've not said it to fight fair. Ah, uh, interesting. So I would say, as much as it pains me to admit, we have an increasing amount of Navy SEALs in Congress uh-huh. that, you know, as much as, what's the uh, what's the old joke about Navy SEALs? How many Navy SEALs does it take to screw in a light bulb? Huh. One to screw in a light bulb and, and the other, and, and another one to uh, write the book about it. Uh, <laughs> How many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, man. That's not funny. <laughs> Uh, so I would say Crenshaw is uh, – he's got game. Uh-huh. Um, Mike Waltz is an Army Ranger. Um, who else is uh, Delgado, freshman from New York, played basketball in college. He's an athlete. But I'd venture to say I could still beat all of them up. What? Okay. What about Jim Jordan? Oh, Jim Jordan. Uh, that's a good point. Jim Jordan could beat me up for sure. Uh-huh. Wrestler. Wrestlers. Yeah. yeah. That's the first thing. If you ever are about to get in a fight, well, rule number one, run away. That's the Gallagher style. Uh-huh. That's my I family like style. Yeah. Uh, Hit the high ground through a rocks <laughs> down. <laughs> um, so it's like, so I married an axe murder. It's like Scottish fighting. You know, Scotland has its own martial arts. It's called the <laughs> It's mostly just headbutting and then kicking people when they're on the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If like you deal. so, if you're ever getting a fight, look at the ears, and if they have wrestler cauliflower ears, yeah, 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 do yeah. not engage that person in fights. Jim yeah. Jordan's legit. He uh, he was a state champion wrestler. Uh-huh. He was a national champion wrestler, 
At University of Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. If I've got that correct. And his sons were the same. I also tend to find that uh, if you see someone who has the cauliflower ears and was a wrestler, probably best not to engage them in conversation either. <laughs> <They're still laughs> yeah, uh, um, okay, so, but what you're saying is if we, if we take your swagger out of it, that if it was, if I was the Joker and I said we're going to have tryouts, right, and everyone had to fight each other, you'd make it to like the top four or eight dudes left certainly in congress but that's a low bar the yeah. confession i want to make here is that the last like actual bar fight i got into was outside the hoffer house in munich when i was in college uh-huh. i'm not sure we won that my uh-huh. friend uh, who was studying abroad in germany at the time greg was a much uh, bigger guy than i was and so i just kind of like contributed where i, I could but uh-huh. since then I, I haven't been known as a brawler i understand i understand okay second question who would you say is the hairiest congressman <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is funny. I don't even know. I I don't even. All right, well, you can think about it. Let me think about that. Yeah. Well, I won't be able to not think about it yeah. for the rest of my life. People on uh we when I when I when I started at AI in my earlier incarnation as a little policy gnome, we used to have these kinds of conversations like, who do you think the hairiest public intellectual is? Or, you know, that kind of stuff. And Well, this isn't what you're after, but I think Ben Sass is the shaggiest. He had, Well, he got a haircut recently, but he used to kind of have like yeah. a shaggy thing going on. Yeah. And I don't know anyone who has long hair among the, the male members of Congress. That is a great question. Yeah, it's too bad Jim Traficant is not in the House anymore because like, he, he wins all sorts of categories. Um, all right, so – on the first episode of Half-Baked Ideas with Mike Gallagher, we covered a lot of territory. Uh, there was your pull-up bar idea. Why don't you explain what that was? So my theory, I spent a lot of time in airports, uh-huh. uh, a lot of time in O'Hare specifically, missing flights, mm-hmm. the seventh layer of hell, as I call it. And uh, it'd be nice to be able to get a short workout in. Now, you can't have a full-on gym in airports because then you need showers and you don't want to sweat. But a pull-up bar, strategically positioned – Outside of every gate or just in major intersections would allow you to knock out a quick set of pull-ups, mm-hmm. thereby passing the time productively, and also allow the Marine Corps to advertise and I think would actually meet all their recruiting needs if they just put Marine Corps-branded pull-up bars at every airport across America. Quick story. I actually asked the Marine Corps <laughs> congressional liaison to, like, get me a pull-up bar, the one that uh-huh. they use for recruiting. And I said, I'll pay for it, like, go through all the ethical hoops. It has been two years now, and really? they still have not been able to identify where they get pull-up bars. And they've told me that it's actually astronomically expensive, the cost for a pull-up bar, which if ever there was an argument for commercial off-the-shelf technology. Right. So I went to a high school in my district, uh-huh. Green Bay West, which has the Bay Lake Manufacturing Program, and I sent them a picture. And I said, can you just build this pull-up bar? And uh-huh. they built it literally in a week for a like, minimal cost. So now the next step is I'm going to have to get – I'm going to try and get permission. They built two of these for uh, – from the Appleton Airport and the Green Bay Airport, the two big airports in my district, to station these pull-up bars. So uh-huh. I'm just doing this without a massive federal program. But I think there, the one refinement of the idea that I would like to float with you uh, is to tie it to where you get to sit on the plane. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you would have a pull-up competition among people waiting to get on a flight. And the person that could do the most pull-ups while carrying all the bags they have on them that's a critical wrinkle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would get to sit in the exit rows and get a free beer on the flights. Boom. Yeah. Okay. So the pro- now that you're getting into the problem of how ableist this is, right? Because, I mean, there are going to be some old ladies and some um, – But you need able people in the exit row that's in true. case of an emergency. That's why it's designed yeah. to be the exit row. So be, but basically you're just putting one seat up for uh, 
auction, as it were, right? You're not like one ranking. Seat. Okay, okay. All, one exit row seat would yeah. always okay. be available. The one closest to the actual right. the window, because you want that person to be able to grab the door right. and throw it in the event of an emergency. So I think this is a win-win-win. How often do you get the exit row seat? Uh, not that often. Yeah. Not often enough. Because I, I was trying to remember the last time I actually looked at the instructions for how to open that door, even though I said I would. You know, they expect you to. And, uh, like, my idea of hell is actually, like, the plane's going in the water, in the drink. Everyone's crowding around. And I'm like, <laughs> boop that out. Oh, boy. Uh, oh. You know, where are the instructions? Jack's, Jack's Hillsdale ears. <laughs> Larry Orange. <laughs> Somewhere Larry Orange just dropped a teacup. Um, <laughs> All right. That he bought from the Churchill estate. <laughs> anyway, so uh, – Okay, and that was my that's my best idea I have. Okay. Well, well, but also we discussed we were way ahead of the curve. We discussed taking uh buying Greenland, right? I think you brought it up. We were uh we were Greenland hipsters. That's right. And we were we were we were for taking Greenland before taking Greenland was cool. Okay. So, uh let's talk about Greenland. Okay. Greenland, about 22% the size of the United States. Uh-huh. It's been a while since we've increased the size of the United States. I like it. It has a lot of rare earths, uh-huh. natural gas, yeah. oil. The Chinese are very active in Greenland right now because uh-huh. it's a strategic point relative to the Arctic. Uh-huh. It's owned by the Danes. So the alt-right would love this, right? You know, you're increasing the Puritan Aryan Viking stock, right? Because they're all like – Think about it in those terms. Norse, you know, mythology nuts, whatever, pagans. Make America bigger. Yeah, yeah I, 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 right. I'm okay with that. Okay, so yeah. Greenland. I, just come to some sort of arrangement with the Danes and the indigenous people in Greenland as to what we could do there. Listen, Jonah, I confess not to have controlled Greenland but to have been controlled by it. But, uh-huh. yes, it was all our idea, and now the White House seems to have embraced that proposal – Although, where are we with the annexation of Greenland? It seems like it was happening. Oh, no, I shouldn't say annexation. <laughs> the lawful purchase. The lawful purchase. Of Greenland. The acquisition. So this is actually really interesting to me. So I've actually, full disclosure, I've, I had prior to that, I had conversations with people in the White House about this idea, which uh-huh. I, I don't think is a joke. I think would actually be a geopolitical masterstroke. Now, mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult to pull off, right? Yes. The Danes don't seem to be inclined to do it. But, you know, it's, what is it? 22% the size of the territorial, right. territorial United States, rich in uh, rare earths, et cetera, et cetera. China is paying attention to Greenland, et cetera. We can make the case in 10 different ways. So it, it seems as though someone briefed him at some point on that, and then right. he decided to talk about it. And then the entire media piled on and said, well, this is dumb and mm-hmm. obviously stupid idea. And I think you wrote a, an article about it saying, well, no, this is actually like... It's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. No, it's a good idea. And... This is part of my frustration is that, look, there are there are things – I mean we don't want to get into rank punditry or Trump stuff. But there are things that Trump wants to do or has done that I support, right, that I like. And part of the problem about – with Trump is that sometimes when he embraces something that you already like, he makes it less popular. <laughs> <laughs> and so now for a generation – the annexation – I'm sorry, the acquisition the – acquisi- The lawful of, acquisition. Of, the lawful acquisition of Greenland is going to be synonymous with boneheaded ideas, and I think that's tragic because it's actually a pretty good idea. Well, I think the real story here is that after three years of being a never-Trumper, cheese-eating surrender monkey, Jonah yeah. Goldberg is back on the Trump train. That's right. The, I'm, the I'm Greenland one, idea. I'm 100 percent on board. MAGA is just an acronym for Make Greenland American. Wait. Again. Already. Already. Man. <laughs> it's an, it's yeah. Make Greenland 
American already. Same number of letters, same letters yeah. as MAGA. Well, we should shoot, make make America bigger again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, MABA. I mean, and again... The, the, By the way, uh, I don't... Okay, I think in, in Chernow's Grant uh, uh-huh. biography, which everyone's reading, there's a portion in his presidency that he devotes a considerable amount of time and effort to the annexation of... Uh, was it Cuba or I mean or or what would become Cuba at the time? Uh-huh. This is not my period of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize. I'm an early Cold War person. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not like a crazy idea. We've tried to annex territory in gosh, what's the proper term? Acquire, acquire, <laughs> invade, incorporate. Acquire. I mean, they're, um... no less than the 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 brilliant mind of Tom Cotton wrote an op-ed, I believe, in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Journal, defending the Greenland idea. So uh-huh. it's not as crazy as you might think. Could you uh, be? Could you beat Cotton in a fight? Uh, well, I've certainly beat Cotton the last three years in the congressional race. Oh, that's uh, right. He's not happy about that, right? Well, uh, Tom Cotton's a very competitive yeah. being. Yeah. I, I tend to think he's actually faster than me. Uh, I cheated the first year. I drafted off of him. Uh, I think I talked about this last time I was here. Well, you're smaller. You're like Rudy the Rabbit from Meatballs, yeah. right? You can go under the branches and all that kind and of then stuff. And then when I saw the finish line, I sprinted, and then he hasn't shown up the last two years. Uh-huh. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a hollow victory, um, but we'll see if he shows up next year. Yeah. I mean, if I had an Adam's apple like his, I would, I would want to win races too. <laughs> I'm trying to recruit the great Jackie Butts to be on my running team next year. Is that right? Perfectly possible. But he looked at my running time and, and laughed at it. He thought it wasn't. It's he's in a different stratosphere. I didn't laugh. I was. I was I, it's good for a for a member of Congress. <laughs> what, do you, what do you run three miles in, Jack? Uh, well, I think the winner of, of this year's race is about what I could do it in. It's like a fourteen fifty two run by one Nick Posada. So Posado, I think that was the name of the winner. Nick Posado, if you're out there. Jack is coming for you. <laughs> he is going to crush you. Did you see year. this guy who broke the half marathon world record? He no. ran a half, was it 58 minutes? Don't remind me. I, I avoid he results ran a like half this. marathon in 58 minutes. What would you run a half marathon in? Well, I've only run one in 110, so he just does this to humble me, which I deserve. Didn't you win the half, the half marathon? Or Flying something? pig half marathon in 2018, yes. And your time on that was? 110.39. Yeah. Legit. When you did New York Marathon, I mean, sorry, Boston Marathon, what was your first half? Do you know? Um, it was about a 117, uh, like 117.20. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I basically ran about the same time for the second half. Well, that's great. So can I? So the only reason I won this race, uh, back to me, Jack. You're yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the one who brought me in here. Uh, I, I would have stayed on the sideline. I'm not a good runner. I'm uh-huh. like a short, you know, not runnery guy. Uh but in the Marine Corps, your physical fitness test, one component, it's pull-ups, hence my obsession with pull-ups, uh, it's sit-ups, and then there's a three-mile run. So I uh-huh. spent an inordinate amount of my time preparing to run three miles, and it just so happens that this race is a three-mile run. And I discovered something very interesting in my early 20s, which is if you ran the first mile and a half at a less – and to get a perfect score, you got to be sub-18. If you ran the first mile and a half at less than nine minutes – Sort of psychologically, you wouldn't let yourself run the second mile and a half at less than that. So mm-hmm. that's the trick. You just got to trick yourself into running fast, not actually train for it. Okay. This 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 is all exactly news I can't <laughs> news I can't use. All right. So let's get back to half baked ideas. Um, so you have new ones. What's your first new, new ones? One? Okay. Uh, and again, these are half baked. Uh-huh. Might even be quarter baked. Okay. Okay. So I want you to picture three big trends intersecting one of which two of which are near and dear to your heart 
So I believe you wrote a book that was in part about tribalism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't really read the book. Yeah, it started right. off with a cool story about the Godfather, and then there were graphs and pictures, and so I, I checked out. Yeah, but yeah. I, I didn't know they made I, a book out of that movie. That's great. I would suspect. I would expect nothing more from a congressman. <laughs> uh, but it's about the dangers of tribalism. But it's happening. We're getting mm-hmm. more tribal. One. Two, you are an ardent proponent for increasing the size of the House of Representatives. I am indeed. So just picture tribalism getting worse, uh-huh. House of Representatives getting bigger. Uh-huh. Three, there's a, I don't know if this is the right word, sartorial trend among uh, adult males who uh-huh. wear suits a uh-huh. lot, which is to say their shoes are now hybrid. They're neither like actual dress shoes nor sneakers. They're all wearing like hybrid sneaker dress shoes things. Uh-huh. So we're stuck in the middle on both these, on all three of these. So, so far, this is like Canadian porn. I don't know where it's going, but I'm kind of interested. So okay. tell me, tell, bring it all we're together. No man's land on tribalism, no man's land on the size of the House of Representatives, no man's land on sneaker shoes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. you got to pick one way or the other. Okay. You may want to go in the opposite direction, but let's just say we succumbed to the bad direction. Uh-huh. We're going to need a way of identifying who's who in the House of Representatives. Uh If it's uh a 1,000 people, Uh and it's purely tribal already, and everyone wants to wear more comfortable clothes, Uh let us just wear red and blue crushed velvet suits on the House floor. So you can distinguish in your world, Uh but we're not going to know the names of congressmen, Uh at least who's a Democrat or who's a Republican. Oh, you're talking about if we, if we expanded it. If we expanded it. Yeah. Right. If okay. we expanded We're going to need uniforms, uh-huh. in other words. Because every yeah, yeah. day I turn on C-SPAN, I see someone, I'm like, that person's in Congress? Who are they? Um, but wouldn't it – not for me to get go all get you on here, <laughs> I but you, I thought this was a winner, but uh, apparently not. Wouldn't it be better if you actually had to talk to someone to find out whether or not they were – a Republican or Democrat? Undoubtedly. And for my <laughs> for my thoughts on that, you can read an Atlantic article I wrote, my uh-huh. Jerry Maguire memo called How to Fix Congress. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I want to live in the other direction, uh-huh. in the other world. I'm uh-huh. just saying at some point, those three forces become inevitable. I don't uh-huh. think you should wear sneakers with a suit. I think I'm wearing dress shoes here today, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wisconsin socks. Yeah, um, I noticed those. But I'm just saying if we t- keep going in the direction I think we're going, uh-huh. practically we're going to need some way to distinguish between okay. the red team and the blue team. Okay. okay. So I'm not saying I endorse it. I'm just uh-huh. saying break that half-baked idea in case of emergency. I understand. Okay. All right. Yeah. Under advisement. Okay. What's your next one? Okay. I'm just going to say the words of this one, three words, and see if you guys can figure out what it means. Uh-huh. Red Dawn, Taiwan. Uh, a movie based on the Red Dawn script, but in Taiwan for the ja- Chinese invasion. Close. Okay. Okay. So we spe- we sell a lot of weapons to Taiwan. Yes. Advanced weapons. Uh-huh. And we're doing more of it under the Trump administration for whom uh, – for which Trump – and uh, Matt Pottinger and others on their Asia team deserve an enormous amount of credit. I agree. Oh. And, and the fact that Taiwan is giving us more uh, opposition research about Joe Biden is oh, a total coincidence. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Go on. Oh, I think a vote just went off. Didn't Sass pull that on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, for example, just I believe just approved the sale of fourth-generation fighters. We have concerns about uh, the survivability of our own fourth-generation fighters in a fight <laughs> with China, given their advances in hypersonics and other defenses, things like that. So the 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 real uh, uh, resilience of America in Red Dawn, uh-huh. the original. I don't acknowledge the remake. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, was that you have millions of Americans who will not allow a foreign country to take over, and who have you know obviously we have a lot of small arms in this uh-huh. country. It's a subject of enormous intense debate. I don't want to weigh into that right now, but they have a prohibition. They don't have a sort of Second Amendment. 
in Taiwan right now. Uh-huh. So I think we could get more defense for least cost if we just focused on distributed arms sales in Taiwan as opposed to the high-end items. I like it. Now, that one I really like. I mean, there would be um, – you know, we, we encourage them yeah, – it doesn't have to be everybody gets a gun. No, no, no. no. But it could kind of be like the Swiss model where – you know, I don't. What is what is the what are the military service requirements in Taiwan? Do you know? I do not know. Yeah, because like in Switzerland, basically every I think they may have changed it in recent years, but for a long, long time, everyone had to serve um, some amount of time, mm-hmm. and then they all got, you know, they brought their weapon home with them, basically. And so like the place was full of guns, and it was just part of their strategic deterrence was that. If you invade us, there aren't a lot of us, but we're all armed. Yeah. You know? um, and just for those who think this is a silly argument, and I'm not actually talking about the Second Amendment, what I'm, I'm talking about is like a serious argument of how do we do deterrence by denial in the Indo-Pacific region? It should uh-huh. be easy for us. Right now, the most important thing I think that's happened in foreign policy beyond the overall attempt to get tough on China is we've gotten out of the INF Treaty. That should allow right. us to put medium-range missiles along the first and second island chains in the Indo-Pacific region. And we need to find places to put those. I doubt Taiwan would be willing to host it. But we got to find ways to creatively sell weapons that make sense and allow Taiwan to defend itself for a relatively inexpensive amount of money. So that's what I'm getting at with that. I I was at an off-the-record event where you spoke, but I don't think I'll get in trouble with you or anybody for bringing it up. But part of your argument was that we we need much more lethal allies. Yeah, lethal allies. um, Which... Is a fantastic band name for yeah. so long. Um, <laughs> the working title of my autobiography. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I like this. I like this idea. Okay, I should good. go quickly through yeah. the other ones. I'm sorry. I don't know what our time limit is. But uh, this is a simple one. Uh, this isn't even fun or funny. But I, I, I very seriously want to impose a fatwa uh, against acronyms on mm-hmm. the Pentagon. Okay. I do think in the same way that Mattis or McMaster or whoever, it's, it's like – it's like Bismarck now. If you have a quote that sounds cool, you attribute it to Mattis or uh-huh. Betrayus or somebody. Said that PowerPoint makes us stupid. Uh-huh. I've sat in any number of these Armed Services Committee hearings now, and people hide behind the use of acronyms that they don't understand. Uh-huh. And I think forcing people to say things in plain English would actually improve the quality of our debate and discourse. So acronym fought well on all government agencies while we're at it. You can't use acronyms anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're done. Um, this is a good one. Uh, okay, so the there's a there's a movement out there to impose a single subject amendment on the Constitution. Uh-huh. How do you feel about that? A lot of state constitutions have single subject amendments. Bills can only be about one thing. Uh-huh. The idea is to reduce complexity. You don't have bills like Obamacare that are thousands of pages and have unrelated provisions in them. Omnibus bills. I'm in favor of this. Mark Meadows leads the effort in the House, but it's very difficult to amend the Constitution, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have state. Uh, we have a State of the Union periodically uh-huh. in uh, Congress. The State of the Union, and Jack, you can look this up on, I think, the Presidency Project at UCSB charted how the average length of the State of the Union has grown astronomically since the Mm -hmm. Nixon administration. The State of the Union basically just becomes this absurd spectacle where it's two hours, you're, you know, you give a standing ovation for everything. So what if we solved both these problems or used an idea from the first problem to solve the second problem, which is to impose a single subject amendment on the State of the Union. Oh, I like it. The president can only talk about one thing, and there's a time limit, right? You make an argument about we're going to talk about health care. It's not going to be a laundry list of we're going to do everything under the sun, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Just one thing, less than 30 minutes, and then we can all go on debating and potentially legislating on that thing. Your thoughts? Okay, so um, 
on the State of the Union part, actually one of my long-held half-baked ideas, which I lament is would be considered half-baked, is that we should go back to written States of the Union. I like that. Um, and what would be even better than a single-subject State of the Union would be if they were actually expected to talk about the State of the Union, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's the one thing they don't really do is, you know, I mean, they do a little boilerplate, you know, the State of the Union is strong. strong. Right. And then they talk about all the stuff that they want, right? You know, what about, like, we had this many exports, this many imports, this is what our budget deficit is. Actually make them give a State of the Union address. That would be pretty cool. That's kind of what, what like, the direction I'm heading. So I don't yeah, think yeah. our two ideas are that. No, no, I think we, uh, could, I, yeah. we, we should form a committee. We can get going on this. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I only got two more, I swear. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, now I this is this is a, an admission against interest here. So I'm a relatively young member of Congress. I was the second youngest in the last Congress. I'm now, I think I'm barely top 10 with AOC and all the newbies that have come in. I do think it meant – so you have to be 25 to run for Congress, 30 mm-hmm. Senate, 35 for president. I do think those ages meant something different at the time of the founding and the framing than mm-hmm. they do right now. Mm-hmm. I mean this is the Ben Sass – no, this is the third time I've invoked Ben Sass. Yeah. I, don't even, I don't even like the guy. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is the argument about prolonged adolescence and all that stuff. Right. Another book I didn't read but sits on my shelf next to your book and uh-huh. makes people think I'm smart. Uh-huh. Uh why not? You're not really fooling anybody. Why? Why not do some sort of age inflation? Uh huh. Like you know, it's like this. You know, we have this argument about raising the retirement age for Social Security. Right, right, right. Raise the eligibility age for Congress to keep up with the fact that people are delaying their adulthood longer. So just shift it up. What was life expectancy, Jack, at the time? Yeah, Jack. in 1787, Jack. <laughs> Jack. Jack, get on Google, Jack. <laughs> what would you say you do here, Jack? <laughs> so, I like this, but I don't think you're going nearly far enough. Okay, interesting. I, and I don't want to get all ranty because we got a lot of stuff to get through here. A lot of important stuff to get through here, but. I despise the cult of youth and youth politics and all of that stuff, right? I've written at length about it. It is one of my major sort of yell at the TV obsessions. Um, and this, the idea of lowering the voting age, I think is one of the most incandescently stupid things to come out down the pike, whatever. You know, Hillary Clinton had this great line where she said, some of the smartest some of the wise, some of the greatest theologians I've ever met have been five-year-olds, and like that is one of the biggest big if true statements you could possibly make. I mean, like where did they come? Where did this five-year-old come down on like Saint Augustine and the City of God and City of Man? Right? It is this, it is this whole cult. I mean, we we're, we're talking like the day after Greta Thunberg. You know, wowed everybody at the UN, and I don't want to beat up on her. You know, she says what she's—I mean, she clearly believes what she's saying, and all of that. But there's this cult of like young people are smarter. This has been proven by science. Sound science is on my side on this. There is a very close, almost ex- incredibly tight correlation between stupidity and ignorance and youth. Right when we are born. We're really dumb and we don't know a lot of things. And it is only as we get older do both of these trend lines move forward. And the idea that we need to sort of work down the, the, that trend line because if we could just capture the votes of 16 year olds as they want to do in California, we'll get better results is, and it's like too stupid to be a spell checker at an M&M factory stuff, right? It just drives me crazy. And so I, 
would take this further and say, if we're going to move up the the qualifying age for politicians, we should also raise the voting age. Interesting. Um, to twenty one, or I'm open for bidding, yep. right? You know, I mean, like, I mean, you, at some point it gets pretty partisan. Like Mitt Romney would have won, and John McCain would have won in landslides if the voting age had been thirty five. Interesting. And so I'm not. I'm, I don't want to make this sound like I just think that old people vote better. Considering some of my problems with, you know, where the GOP is going these days, some of the oldest voters on the right are the ones that bother me the most these days. <laughs> but um, just as a matter of principle, we should. We should raise the ages for – I like it. Indexing to longevity, yeah. like a longevity index. So we just need to – but the index would be simple. You subtract life expectancy today – no, you subtract life expectancy in 1787 from life expectancy today, and that's how much you bump it up. Right. From 25 and 30 and 35. And theoretically, this would alleviate some of the career politician problem we have mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in D.C., mm-hmm. right? You have a shorter window in which to be in public life. It would force you to make a living outside of politics prior – now – You'd still have state politics and things like that, but mm-hmm. I'd be fine. I mean, I'm 35 now, so now I'm able to argue for this because I think I'd still be able to be in Congress. Certainly by the time we Let's got Let's put it at 35. <laughs> yeah. We can just call it. I only got one more. Okay, go. Go. And I may, I may or may not have stolen this from a mutual shadowy friend of ours uh-huh. who's appeared on the previous uh-huh. – uh, who's been referenced in our previous podcast. Okay. Okay. So, so last week I, I sat in a – a classified hearing about the Iran issue mm-hmm, attack mm-hmm. on the, and I'm not going to get into the details, obviously, because it's classified. In a prior life, I used to be a counterintelligence officer, so I take this stuff very seriously. But because of that, I've been shocked at, as someone who spent seven years in the intelligence community, consuming intelligence, working in classified spaces. I've been shocked by what at what a disadvantage we are relative to the executive branch when it comes to classified information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the the logistics we have for getting to a SCIF, for consuming intelligence products are absurd. Mm-hmm. And so when you get briefed on this stuff by the you know experts with access to classified information, you just don't – you're not seeing the underlying reporting. Mm-hmm. And you basically have to sometimes just trust that what they're saying is true. And I think we have ample reasons uh, to distrust Sometimes what the intelligence community is saying is true. And I would say as an intelligence professionals, the idea that what is true is always knowable is a contestable proposition. So how do you rectify that? How do you give Article One better access to classified information while still giving Article Two the ability to collect intelligence and be sort of the, you know, do all the things in the foreign policy realm that the framers wanted Article Two to do? I think you need to situate some sort of intelligence analysis, not collection, analysis Mm -hmm. section within the Library of Congress Mm -hmm. that would produce analytical products specifically for the legislative branch of Congress and allow us to consume intelligence better than we do now. And for those who think this engenders some constitutional issue, I don't see it as that different from the existence of the CBO uh, Mm -hmm. right now. Um, And we look at what happened in the 90s. Gingrich, I think, sort of short-sightedly, uh, got rid of a lot of the resources that Congress had as, at its disposal, the Office of Technical Assessment, which further put Article One at a disadvantage relative to Article Two. So we need a, a CI, um, uh, CIO, Congressional mm-hmm. Intelligence Office. I'm open to a better – oh, I just got rid of acronyms. You okay. did. Yeah, that's a huge problem. Oh, dang it. Um, but that's that's basic idea. Okay, right there. All right. That seems like three quarters baked. That seems like a real idea rather than you know uh, wacky. Even better. Okay, so um, I'm open to that, but you know, 
You seem very unenthused about that last one. I can't I, – I, I don't envision hordes of impassioned mobs like storming the Capitol demanding the congressional intelligence officer office to be established. Well, there's a flaw of uh, – uh, I, I think uh, like under the speech and debate clause, we technically could take any piece of classified intel uh-huh. and read it. Into the, the congressional record on the yeah. floor and not be held accountable for it. So right. you would have a problem where you could imagine some feisty members of the squad taking intelligence and reading it on yeah. on the House floor. So I haven't quite solved that issue. Um, I'll get there, though. Again, it's not fully baked, Joe. I don't know. Fair Joe, enough. Joe, go. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. So some of my ideas. I don't remember if I brought this up on the last one, but I've driven across country a lot. I like driving across country. To the extent that we are very concerned about the emissions from cars and climate change and all of that, I think what we should do is have massive cross-country interstate tunnels. And I've been informed by some engineers that that's way too expensive to do with earth-moving stuff under the ground. So, um, But what you could do is you could cover highways with, you know, basically sort of like a half tunnel, like a half pipe kind of thing, right? And... So all the giant orders win. You got a half pipe. That's all, huge. all the all the giant uh, semi trucks, right? All the guys who have to cross country for work, they go in there. So all and all the exhaust, we can have scrubbers, right? Um, they don't need to see the scenery. Um, we would reduce roadkill. It would make it much more fun to drive cross country because you wouldn't be stuck in those giant convoys of things. Um, a related thing, I think. That everybody – that one day when I'm czar and we have – they're not going to be called truth and reconciliation committees. They're going to be called vengeance commissions. And uh, the people responsible for all these bike lanes in major cities are going to be punished. And so I want to get rid of bike lanes entirely. That's not the half-baked idea. That's just a passionate conviction of mine. Are you anti-scooter too? Eh, I go back and forth. Yeah. I mean – Given how many people die doing it, I kind of think if they're willing to take the risk, I'm willing to let them. You know. The audacity of the scooter thing is really impressive. We're just going to plop all these scooters down in major. No, I know cities. And <laughs> I um, don't mean to. No, no, I agree. I, agree. I like the tunnel. So there, are, I, th- I believe Virgin, uh, uh, the airline, the Richard Branson thing, is trying to do like what they called hyperloops. Where uh-huh. They're basically, if I understand, it, in the median of existing highways, a huge. High speed rail that runs on like magnets or, uh-huh. or something. So there's a there might be an interim step towards your massive. Tunnel. Yeah, well, also uh, human scale pneumatic tubes yeah. where you like get in a little pod and you're just sort of Saddam Hussein super gun fired across country yeah. would be really cool too. This would be a great moment for Jackie Butts to splice in the clip of uh, Tenacious D singing about tube technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, um. But so my solution to this, because people want to ride their bikes, you know, and, and even though, you know, bikes are for kids, is enormous elevated, instead of tunnels, right, enormous elevated bike trails that sort of crisscross like really cool looking like latticework spiderweb kinds of things where they ride above the city unobstructed. Basically, no red lights. Lots of off ramps for the get up for them to get or bike so elevators above the streets. Above the streets, not cluttering up traffic, not getting hit by cars. You can even wow. sort of like the um the the that big pedestrian thing they now have in New York City on the yeah. west side. And um, everyone, both of these ideas, everyone talks about how we need infrastructure, how we need to create jobs that are gateways to the middle class. I think this is the way to go. 
I'm all in. Okay. Another one related to climate change and whatnot. Um, and I believe who's the guy who, who like, kind of figured out how to do uh, mapping the genome really quickly. Um, uh, you know what I'm talking about? It was like ten years ago. He came up with that. Anyway, sure. Anyway, I Watson think, and Crick. <laughs> no, no, no. I think he's working. He was allegedly working on this. That guy. I think we need. You know, so the, among the biggest absorbers of of carbon in the air are plants, right? They're carbon lo- sure. sinks, whatever. Um, so I'm, that's one of the reasons why I want to build, I want to plant a quadrillion more trees all over the place. Um, again, that's not really half baked. I think that's just a, a real idea, right thing to do. Um, particularly on the edge of farms and um, and large parking lots and all that, they tend to be biofilters that they stop pollutants from making it into our waterways. There's there's no reason not to do that. But what about crazy super bioengineered plants, right? Where we use genetic engineering that plants that just hoover up carbon from the air. Yeah. Um, seems to me like everyone, my problem with all the climate change stuff is that everyone thinks that the answer is to throw a wet blanket on the economy rather than coming up with cool ways to adapt to it. I'm in favor of uh, geoengineering where we would like maybe do stuff in the mm. troposphere to block out sunlight or whatever, or maybe we seed more plant, more clouds, which reflect more of the sunlight. Can I, can I add a refinement to this? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I don't know why my brain went here, but it's football season. I love football. I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Packers are undefeated. Aaron Rodgers is my best friend. Just kidding. I wish that were true. Um, there's a problem now. The Dolphins are, are tanking big mm-hmm. time, historically. And I believe there's no... The, the NBA has solved sort of the problem of tanking with their lottery system. The NFL hasn't necessarily. What if if you were the worst team in the league? Mm-hmm. And I was also thinking about uh, FedEx mm-hmm. uh, when when the FedEx Stadium uh, when you said this. Your your punishment is we raise your stadium to the ground mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. plant that area with all the super bio like engineered uh-huh, uh-huh. trees. Yeah. And so then you got to figure out where you're building the new stadium if you have the capital, which is great for infrastructure. <laughs> I, this is RFK a, reborn. We're, we're, we're retreating into eighth baked ideas, here. but um, sorry. Uh, and so one of the things you could do is if you could figure out the right kind of bioengineered plant that suck up a lot of carbon, is you could mandate that the the flat roofs of buildings, like if you look at an aerial view of a city, the the a vast chunk of the total oh yeah topography of a city is the roofs of buildings that have access to sunlight. All, Plant these plants there. They suck up all of this stuff, and that way we can still have fracking and oil, which I you know, think is a good thing. Genius. Um, political idea here. One of my grave condemnations of our politics today is that everybody wants – everyone is running and voting as if we live in a parliamentary democracy, and we do not. Right. We have this idea that if a president gets elected, it's like they're a prime minister and their party was put into power and they get to do whatever they want. And um, this is just not the case. We have a presidential system. We don't have a parliamentary system. But that being said, there is no nothing in the Constitution that says that the speaker has to be a member of Congress. Mm. You know, and there are some people who disagree with me about this and they're wrong. So I think speakers should start running People should start running for the office of speaker. And I don't necessarily mean oh this would get the Article One powers sort of reasserted because when Elizabeth Warren talks about the stuff that she wants to do and has no power to do because the presidents don't have the power to make Congress do anything. But a speaker actually has real power in Congress. And so you could have people running for the job of speaker. And if they got enough votes from the public, there would be political pressure 
on the members of the House to make them the speaker, even if they aren't members of the House. Oh, boy, I like that a lot. Uh, Well, you or you just amend the Constitution to make that office elected by people. Right. Might unlock some perverse consequences, because otherwise there'd be I mean, Congress would just retain the right to ignore whoever won the there would be no election. That's true. I mean, look, I like like where you're. Yeah. Uh, But uh, if you want a prime minister, actually have someone who's kind of actually has that. There's a question for the historian. Have we ever come close to having a non member of the House as speaker? I don't believe so. Why is that? That's curious to me. It's like, why why have we never had a a constitutional convention since the original? Uh, I don't know. I like that, though. It's hard to find parking. Um, I, I, I don't. I, I don't have to do it in D.C. That's that's true. That's First true. attempted one was in Annapolis, I believe, and only five states showed up. Um, there's also the related idea, which I think George Will floated 20 years ago. There's nothing in the Constitution that says uh, members of the Supreme Court have to be lawyers. Interesting. And if the more and more our culture says that. The Supreme Court is going to answer all of the fundamental questions of life, you know, as as Kennedy put it, you know, the sweet mystery of life stuff and all that. If we want the Supreme Court. He did not use the word sweet. That was that was uh, Ilya Shapiro who said sweet. You sure? Yes. Okay. Anthony Kennedy is never. (laughs) In Jonah's defense, Ilya Shapiro is a Canadian and uh, we don't like Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Something like that. Is he not a Canadian? He is. He's an American now. Yeah. 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 He claims. (laughs) Um, But. Uh, uh, like I think George Will floated there, like putting James Q. Wilson, you know, now deceased great social scientist, on the Supreme Court. I've argued for a very long time that Ramesh Panuru should be on the Supreme Court. He's not a lawyer, but if we're going to have, if we're going to like expect the Supreme Court to have Oprah-like wisdom um, and about solving all of our lifestyle Oprah. issues, oh, put Oprah on put the Supreme Oprah Court, Court or whatever. I mean, like let's if, let's let's Look own the bench. Fact. Yeah. There's a Kia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Uh, so two points. I think from a conservative perspective, I think you can make an argument that having a non-lawyer would be more beneficial, right? In other words, a non-lawyer would be less invested in arcane legal theory and therefore at less risk of reading something into the Constitution that isn't there. Right. It could just be more common sense of, well, actually, no, this, you know, there's no record of this. You know, Madison's notes on the convention don't suggest right. anything about this, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think the original intent of your idea with the speaker, I've always been amazed. You always hear this argument when we're trying to get a bill through where leadership will say, well, we can't do that because the president will veto it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, the president's not the beginning of the legislative process. Right. He's the end point of it. And so, like, let's flex the muscles of getting it to the president's desk. Right. And if he vetoes it, then we'll figure out what we're going to do after that. I mean, which could either be. We strike a deal with the White House about what they could accept or we get a, you know, a veto proof majority. And so I think your original point about how the presidency has become the starting point for the legis- – well, that maybe that's my point, not yours. But there's definitely something there. And I would like the idea of a non-House member being speaker. Yeah. I think to invoke his name yet again, mm. uh, the right honorable Ben Sass floated the idea of Arthur Brooks as speaker at one point. Did he really? Indeed. Indeed. Um, Are we allowed to utter – the name Arthur Brooks. We are indeed. Um, Arthur's, you know, Arthur's a friend of this podcast, a friend of mine. And uh, why are there security people trying to get in? <laughs> that happens all the time. It's really weird. So the problem with uh, finding people to be the speaker or finding people to be on the Supreme Court 
is analogous to the problem that a lot of employers have with finding the best people for the job. And that's why I want to talk to you about ZipRecruiter. Oh, boy. All right. Great segue. Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at their web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash dingo. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-I-N-G-O. ZipRecruiter.com slash dingo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, so we should read a few of these, and I want you to sort of respond to these. Wait, can I quick? Sorry. Uh-huh. I, my dream is a speaker who says, who comes into the offices and says, I'm agnostic about policy. I just care about the process. Right. We're going to let the House play out according to the rules we actually agree on, and then may the best man or woman win the argument, right? Mm-hmm. Because what we actually do every week in the House is pass rules to violate the existing rules of the House. For example, one of the big rules concessions Pelosi agreed to in order to get votes from the moderates to become Speaker was a 72-hour rule. You couldn't vote on a bill unless it sort of had gestated for 72 hours. We violated that rule like 10 times mm-hmm. as Congress already. So a Speaker that just allowed the committee process to play out mm-hmm. and the legislative process to play out, I think could actually make an effective case, even if they weren't a member of the House. Yeah. Even more effective if they weren't a member of the House. I think it's right. Also, right. I just think there's something about rising up from within the House that, no offense, but it's like once you get to that position of speaker, um, you you want to use all the power that you have for your own stuff rather than actually protect the institution. I mean, that was one thing that I liked about Boehner. I mean, Boehner had his issues, right? Um, but um, uh, he, he... On the Half-Baked Ideas podcast. We're about... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't have to get into it. Want... All right, so we no, asked... Wait. I want to. I, I my role on this podcast feels very strange today for some reason. But I you've you've only talked about like political ideas. I think you need to just skip on that sheet I have mm-hmm. for you. Just skip straight to the space ideas. Okay. Because there are like eight space ideas that all of them are really cool, and you just need let's just go straight to space. Okay. Okay. Because this has all been politics. It hasn't all been politics. No, we got the tube technology yeah, thing. I mean, it's all they've all I been got politics pull, adjacent. Pull up bar, well, the pull-up bar idea would solve our health crisis in America. Yeah, just go to space. But, okay. I want right. to hear about space. Okay. All right. People want to hear about space. Okay. Okay. I'm going blind into this. This is Jack's list. I have no idea. This is all uh, read. I was about to say readers. I assume you transcribe this yeah. and have people read it. We we all right. So we um, solicited from our our legions of listeners um, their own half baked ideas, and we got 
an enormous number. We might have to revisit this on another podcast because simply because there's so many and um, worth getting into. At Jack's suggestion, I'm going to skip the political ones, which we can come back to maybe on another episode, and go straight to the cool ones, by which I mean the ones about space, because space is pretty cool. And so uh, the first one, which – now, so Jack, just so I understand from our list here, if they don't have names attached to them, they were submitted more than once or – Oh, the the names are attached to the best ones. Okay. Um, By your – by your lights. Yeah, so I guess there's only one there. I, I guess I only chose one per category, but I just want to go to space. Okay. Just ask the space one. Okay, so the first one, which I think is like really in your wheelhouse, is test our aging nuclear stockpile by nuking asteroids now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you think that's in my wheelhouse. <laughs> All the years I spent studying that. Uh, okay. Test our aging nuclear stockpile by nuking asteroids now. All right. Uh, do you want to think about it for a second? I'll respond to it real quick. Yeah, you go okay. for it. Let me get so it. I think, <laughs> I think that the, 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 the ability to test our aging nuclear stockpile is merely a added benefit. It's not the prime reason to do it. The prime reason to do it is, first of all, as, as, as a lot of us in the early days of the internet were arguing – I think it was yeah Frank Fleming uh, was the first guy to propose nuking the moon just to freak everybody out right and sort of say because we can essentially is the argument right that's a big argument for it I'm also a big believer that we actually have um, there's a non-trivial chance that we are going to be blindsided by a major asteroid a, a possibly extinction level event yeah and doing a little practice target shooting with nukes makes a lot of sense to me okay so. With a caveat that I know nothing about the physics of how this would actually work, mm-hmm. um, I, let me tell you what I like about the idea and what I don't like about the idea. Okay. What I like about it is I do think there would be a huge, massive deterrent effect uh-huh. to this whole thing. For those who are concerned about the uh, perhaps the erosion of our deterrence with respect to Iran or some other rogue countries out there, I think our ability to shoot nuclear weapons and blow up asteroids would put every other country on notice. Yes. Around the world. And the Chinese indeed used a, an ASAT to blow up a, a satellite in space just to basically tell us that they could do it. So I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love love it from a deterrence perspective. What I don't like about it, and this is just a personal thing, is I had always imagined that when – that was a Miller Lite, by the way. Uh-huh. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, brought to you by Miller Lite, Wisconsin's favorite beer. Uh, Dude, if you know somebody there, we would love them to advertise. I would. I, would... I know a few. Okay. I know a few. Um, I had always imagined that when we started blowing up asteroids, we would do it by first deploying teams of uh, oil drillers to uh-huh. the moon and yes, then yes. planting a nuclear weapon in there. So I'd yeah. have to get over that sort of emotional attachment to that idea. But from a deterrence perspective, I love it. Okay. All right. Um, of, of all of the bad movies about blowing up asteroids that seemed to all come out at the same time, that was my favorite. That was, which, that was Armageddon? Was that Armageddon? That was Armageddon, yeah, yeah. which was superior to Deep Impact. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Um, and I always felt bad that Robert Duvall was in the wrong one. It does seem to be like like batches of these movies come out at the same time. Yeah, I think that's... That happens. Uh, we should talk to Rob Long about that, but we got we to gotta keep Sorry. going here. Okay, so let's see. I'm fine on time. I know you guys have a, a podcast thing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I mean, are we? We're, I got to leave at twelve thirty. So that okay? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll break this up into two and just keep going. I like it. Um, well, I won't uh, be insulted if you kick me out, or if you allow those security uh, 
uh, people in the door. Okay, let's see. That's a good one. Um, By the way, Half-Baked Idea, there's actually scholarship written about this about space. Uh, Space Force should actually uh, fall under the Navy, not the Air Force. It's a naval mission fundamentally, and if you need proof of that, look no further than Star Trek and ask yourself the ranks in Star Trek are naval ranks. Captain Jean-Luc Picard is an 06, not an 03. So – there you go. Yeah, no, and they're Commodores and Ensigns. and Well, and isn't that, that just because Gene Roddenberry was in the Navy? Well, he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Starship Troopers, those are Space Marines. Um, so I should say, I should, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to completely butcher his name, but the suggestion about nuking the um, asteroids came from Duke Tape? Yeah, I guess. Um, okay. That's a real name. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's so off from duct tape that, I think it's not supposed to be a, a, a joke, and I don't want to make fun Duke of Nuke him for that idea. D U H C T A E P. So anyway, uh, I apologize for mispronouncing the name. Let's see. Uh, we want to stay away from a little politics for a bit, but a lot of these are about politics. So let's see. Education reform. Enable students dissatisfied with their post-collegiate life to ask for refunds to their degrees. We may want to invoke the old principle of satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. A recent graduate, say within the last few years, allowed to essentially return his degree. His alma mater would refund his tuition up to the amount for which he remains indebted. Um, And uh, we can just sort of leave it there. What do you think of that? Like a warranty for a college education. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there's a lot to like in that idea. I mean, you're getting at a a serious problem where – People are uh, paying a lot of money that they don't have for degrees that are entirely useless. However, I, I, what, like, I, I feel every person between the age 22 to 27 is somehow dissatisfied with their life. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure you'd actually solve the problem. Everyone would be invoking it, right? I mean how, you'd have to have some quality control. Right. No, I think that's right. And um, um, yeah, it's an implementation. I mean I like the idea of – having some pressure on universities to actually provide a use worthwhile education. But um, I'm not sure that's the mechanism to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep thinking about this. Okay, so part of my problem is that the printer missed the end of these, a lot of these words. So I'm, I have to guess where some of these sentences go, which is sort of how I feel when I listen to Donald Trump talk sometimes. Um, I don't mean to dismiss. I think there's a big idea, half quarter, full baked, yet to be, uh, uh, talked about in the realm of higher education. I just don't know what it is. I mean, you could imagine, you know, a 10% cut in federal funding unless you cut your underlying costs by 10%. Mm-hmm. Some way. I just, I, it's not my area of expertise. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I've been meaning to write about this for a while now. I read that, um, that big piece by the guy, was it Paul Tuff, something tough, who's Duke, got this Duke, book, Duke got, Dave, I believe it was, <laughs> <laughs> got this book coming out about higher education and about how the admissions process is like really messed up. And, um, I am for just blowing up the cartel of higher education. It is such a hot mess. And one of the reasons why I always liked visiting community colleges um, when I did a lot of campus talking is that the kids at community colleges, they're a little older. They're usually paying for their own educations. So you just – there's a lot less of sort of, you know, uh, lesbian motifs and antebellum poetry, um, you know, majors. Uh, these people, like, want a profession. They want a job that, like – and so and since they're paying for their own credits, they, they care about the utility of yeah. what they do. I am a big believer in, like, 
much more of that kind of vocational stuff, you know, much less subsidy for higher education, the the just the runaway costs and all that. So I'm I'm in favor of some half baked ideas about. Well, I, got, I got you here it, to accelerate competency based learning. Let's say if you're able to finish college before what you would otherwise, you know, in in a shorter period of time. Let's say we give you half of what you otherwise would have gotten through student loans. Right? That's interesting, right? So when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, they were they were paying people that were a grade higher than me, majors, to get out. Like right. they were giving them a, a generous sum, like eighty grand, because uh-huh. they would save more money over the long term right. what they would otherwise pay in retirement. Completion like bonuses, that. I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah, yeah. get it done quicker. Competency yeah. based, right? If, yeah. you, if you master the course material, you should move on to the next level. Um, One of the other half baked ideas that's not on that list uh, was I can't remember the number, but the, the suggestion was. A cutoff, so no federal money if your endowment is above a certain number. So, like, hmm. the richer you are, oh, yeah. there's no reason why you should be getting any sort of federal means money testing. for education. Yeah, means testing higher education. I like it. Yeah. Um, Says a Hillsdale grad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't suggest the idea. Um, L. Arn was the uh, submitter of that Okay, so uh, here's another one, um, which is going to be fun for the politician in the room. It is submitted by Will Manley, which now I am like straight up thinking that these are made up names. You're the one who wanted the name. I know, I know, <laughs> but they and they say they want their name there. That's great, but it's like they're 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 kind of getting you know a little porny. I mean, it's like we're gonna have like Harvey Mangravy next or something. Anyway, so uh, um, public flogging for certain crimes. I would want it reserved for crimes that have real victims and probably for repeat offenses. And then he lists some of them, shoplifting, forgery, burglary, etc. Um, saves the expenses of incarcerations, incarceration, actually penalize the crime, but not in a way that leaves long-term damage the way incarceration does. Well, I'm not sure – I'm not sure like shoplifting would be a crime that would qualify. But I see no reason – I mean if it's a truly heinous crime, why we couldn't up the ante on how you're punished. Um, that's interesting. I, I personally – have been sympathetic to this for a long. There was actually someone who wrote an op-ed suggesting this in the Washington. I think the Washington Post about ten years ago. Um, the problem is, is it gets it sounds so creepy to talk about. Yeah. But if you were given a choice between a hundred lashes or five years in prison, oh yeah, I'd take the lashes. I would take the lashes too. And there's an argument for the immediacy of punishment for a crime. Having a better effect. Moreover, you don't want to be like Brooks in Shawshank Redemption and get institutionalized and not know how to live on the outside. So keeping people out of the prison industrial complex and getting them back into their life while at the same time putting a little punishment, you know, giving giving a little vigorish to things, I I don't think it's inherently a bad idea. There's lots of room for abuse. I'm going to put that one in the quarter baked. Okay. I'm not not yet willing to call that a half baked. Um, Isn't this basically what Singapore does? They do. They do. And in the 90s, an American kid who, like, smashed a bunch of car windows or something like that got flogged. And it was really interesting. Like, in America, like, I remember talking to my old boss about it. It was like, this is a shows how much people think crime and disorder are a problem in America. He was like, 50 years ago, 25 years ago, if some country was flogging an American or caning an American, people would be up in arms. But everyone was sort of like, sounds like the kid kind of deserved it. <laughs> and, then it was, and, then they, and then that was it. Let's see. All right. So we kind of covered this once already before. I've, I think I've written about this kind of recently. But Jim Eli suggests 
banning air conditioning in Washington, D.C. Did we talk about this in the last episode? This has come up many times. Yeah. Um, the basic argument being yeah. that the permanent bureaucracy has been allowed to grow unchecked because the original idea of putting the city here was that it's so friggin' unpleasant in the summer that no one would do anything. But the problem, the problem is Congress has the opposite problem. In other words, I, I think Congress doesn't spend enough time here forming relationships doing – the basic things you would expect a legislature to do. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, the summer of was 1787 uh, in Philadelphia was actually uh, not as hot and swampy as it usually is mm-hmm. in Philadelphia and therefore was a more pleasant environment in which to draft the Constitution. So I think I see what he's saying. The idea would be make it so unpleasant that you would somehow force the swamp to drain itself. Mm-hmm. But I think the congressional part of that works in the opposite direction. However, there is a, a half-baked idea that's, I guess, fully baked because there's, there's legislation to this effect that I believe, uh, gosh, I'm going to, Rodney Davidson, not Rod, uh, no, I don't know, some colleague of mine, the, the readers. <laughs> like my very good friend. The readers will figure out, my, my good, my good, my right honorable good friend, uh, has a, a drain the swamp bill that would force the relocation of all federal agencies to like you know green bay and uh-huh. other midwestern cities so yeah that was suggested among the half-baked ideas yeah i kind of like that I'm, i've been sympathetic with it I, I just worry about the the lack of scrutiny that comes when you get it away from True. the national press corps but at the same time you know dc is more and more becoming like you know the capital city of hunger games so maybe it makes sense um so what he was saying about uh congress needs to stay in dc more Mm-hmm. There was an idea on that on that sheet under the congressional category that is relevant to this that I think is on there. I'll... Oh yeah, so uh, this would be fine for you because that's you know how you roll. All rep uh, Rob Semprini suggests that all reps and senators have to live in barracks when in Congress. Oh, that, I was on a panel yesterday, <laughs> and one of my Democratic colleagues suggested that. Really? So was I... his name Rob <laughs> Semprini? <laughs> Represents the 30th district of Alaska. Uh, uh, so uh, someone made the comment though yesterday that they actually did used to live in dorm rooms. Uh, really? Is that is that true? I, I just don't like what you I know, don't know. Was Lyndon yeah. Johnson you know oh, twisting gosh. arms and a <laughs> and other things? Well, so the question. So uh, there's actually something to that because right now you have half the members that live in their office, and mm-hmm. so the Capitol office complex kind of has become uh, its own weird dorm room and then they lug all their stuff to the gym in the morning and so you'll see during a shutdown reporters will park themselves right outside the house gym mm-hmm. in an effort to get members that are like working out while the government shut down in on right. an embarrassing clip so um and if airports had pull-up bars they wouldn't have, you know you can go someplace else you work out in route man <laughs> um i like that yeah but it would have to be spartan like we don't want this to become a lavish situation right and right. would you mandate that it would be you'd have bipartisan roommates uh, that wasn't mentioned on the idea but that's not a bad wrinkle to it um all right there was one i liked here i'm trying to try oh i like this so john from madison wisconsin so not a constituent of yours but you know close right but a, a brother in arms um badgers give individual sports a control group. So if it were up to me, all this is this is Jim from uh, John from uh, Madison. If it were up to me, all individual sports, Olympics and golf, essentially, should have one regular person 
randomly chosen maybe, to show how much better the Olympic athletes and professional golfers are than a reasonably athletic person. Right now, it's too easy to watch a sport like curling and think, I could do that. The entertainment value of hearing someone, um, and again, the sentence has been cut off, uh, it would be great for, he says, think of the ratings boost you would get for these sports. So John from Madison, uh-huh. I want to say that I love this idea yeah. more than any idea I've heard in a long, long time. Wisconsin has a proud tradition of innovation uh-huh. uh, that stretches from fighting Bob Follett to the present day to uh-huh. John in Madison. Uh-huh. Um, what is not to like about this idea? Okay, so th- it would be hilarious. Yeah, except all right. So the one thought that comes to mind is in like Olympic bench pressing. <laughs> is like some normal dude, like, like the spotter gets it free and clear, and then it just drops and cuts through his torso and kills him. Well, also, the, there's a big problem in golf now with slow play. If you had a, a hacker out there, you'd exacerbate slow play. But I uh, love that idea. This actually kind of happened in the 2018 Winter Olympics with um, some kind, some version of skiing. Like an American with ancestry for some Eastern European country got onto its Olympic team, was clearly just a mediocre skier, but managed to get into the Olympics and, and perform just no tricks, just like going casually down the half pipe and that was it. There's like a... Oh, there's a, a famous Australian guy who I actually met when I went to an Australian rugby game who I think oh, – I'm going to totally butcher this. But like randomly won an Olympic medal when his competitors like – I think it might have been like a race and they all tripped and fell down at the last second. And it's now become a phrase in Australia. We're going to have to rely on the readers to uh, – mm-hmm. hashtag readers uh, – to figure this out. But it's become a, a phrase in Australia like – like in in uh, in Kingpin, when it's like getting Munson in the middle of nowhere. Like uh-huh. if you pull an X, you know this guy's name, then you've you just sort of randomly lucked your way into a fantastic sports accomplishment. I like this idea. Oh, I I I like this. My notes from Jack say this. We already mentioned this, but um, for the listeners who heard the uh, Lyman Stone podcast recently, um, we at the Remnant are pro natalist and want more babies in the world. Um, <laughs> And we're looking for ways to encourage that that don't violate constitutional principles. Um, this listener says, um, give children the vote, but parents get it until the kids turn 18. Ooh. No, that was that was not a single listener. That was multiple listeners. Oh, OK. OK. So many people brought this up, which I think it's I think it's a great idea. So like Tim Carney would get like 14 votes or something. Like yeah. That, right. Um, <laughs> I also love the idea of like. High school, like high school kids that are super progressive with stodgy old conservative yeah, parents, and like really pissed off that, yeah, I'm voting for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I like that idea a lot. That is a, presumably it would make parents more conscious of the type of citizen they're raising too, right? And in part, be more conscious of. The idea that citizenship entails responsibility and that when that person takes over their vote, you want them to do so, you know, with a sense of what it means to be an American citizen. I like that idea. And, I mean, the only question is, is, my God, the Mormons become the most powerful voting bloc in America. (laughs) Well, they already secretly are. Uh, Yeah, there there is that. Um, Urban reform. Uh, Eric Clem. Uh... Sounds like the name of somebody who's 
been hiding in in Buenos Aires, but um, uh, says bring back city states. It goes like this: residents of an area, probably a quite compact area like a city, take up a vote to go city state. The residents then decide on their own constitution, quote unquote, which only applies within the city state. They get any additional representation federally because they are all still residents, citizens of the actual U.S. state in which they reside. They don't get they any. Don't. They don't. They, oh, I'm sorry. They don't. I'm sorry. They don't get any additional representation federally because they are all still residents, citizens of the actual U.S. state which they reside in. I'm not sure what I think about that one. I like I, the idea of city states. Unpack that. Um, okay, so they wouldn't get there wouldn't be senators from the city state. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't get into the D.C. statehood issue. Which, by the way, one of my colleagues, I believe it was Lee Gomert, had an idea that okay, if you don't have full representation, there's this big D.C. statehood push on the Hill uh, last week, and he said, okay, uh, I get it, uh, but how about we'll meet you halfway and you don't have to pay any federal taxes mm-hmm. as long as you don't have statehood. I thought that was an interesting compromise. I have been writing that column for 20 years. Really? Yes. Oh. Um, it enrages me, right? So there, there are there – are, every license plate has to have no taxation without representation on it, right? Yeah. And they throw this no taxation without representation thing up all of the time. And they have a point, right? I mean, that's sort of a principle. I mean, I, I think the idea that people in D.C. are denied voting rights is, is nonsense. But um, – all things being equal, if you were presented with two options, representation or taxation, why all these people are opting for the representation? Like, like if I could not – if I didn't have to pay federal income taxes um, so that – you know, first of all, D.C. would become Monaco on the Potomac in about five minutes, right, <laughs> if, if there were no federal income taxes here. Um, but why – we put all of this emphasis on the representation stuff rather than on the no taxation stuff. I would much rather sue you're not allowed to take my taxes because I don't have representation than, oh, yay, I get to vote for Eleanor Holmes Norton. What if you What if you were allowed to earmark where your taxes went? Oh, like you'd probably feel better yeah, about buying a Javelin missile that we'd put in Taiwan than you would about you know funding some other priority. Well, that's the thing. So, like, I, I actually wrote this for the Washington Post a few years ago. I'm a, and I'm, it's hardly original to me, but I'm a big believer in making um, tax day and election day the same day. Also oh. suggested. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I, uh, I, it, was, it was among the suggestions that I discarded them because you've said it so many times. Yeah, yeah. And ah. the argument being you get what you pay for, right? There, it's not a coincidence that tax day and election day are almost perfectly equal, you know, like at the farthest distance that. from each other. And, Basically, as you're filling out the ballot, you staple the check to it. I love that idea. And um, I think this country would get a lot more libertarian really quickly. I may actually just introduce that. <laughs> that's, that's like fully baked. <laughs> well, the, the other thing, the other, I've idea, got my whole legislative priority <laughs> laid out for the next two years. The other thing is, is get rid of withholding. Ah, so, well, this is a, this is a three quarters baked thing too. Basically, the guy responsible, it, it was, and he was not, he did not have a sense of humor about it. The guy responsible for withholding or most famously responsible, and I'm sure there were other people, uh, is Milton Friedman. He was working uh, in the government during World War II and they were looking for a way to raise revenue very, very quickly. 
And doing mandated withholding from paychecks was a way to get the money really, really fast. And he justified it because we were at war with, you know, like Nazis. Um, And he and that's I believe that's one of the reasons why he had that line about how there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. Mm. And um, and if you got rid of withholding so that people actually had to make payments quarterly or even annually to save the money and all that, it would impose a certain amount of fiscal discipline. Yeah. On voters, um, and they would then in turn impose it on us. There's a story which I, I confirmed is not entirely apocryphal. That at Coors, the original back in the day, um, whatever the old man, whoever old man Coors was in the 1940s, early 1950s, like beer, Coors. beer, yeah. yeah, okay. He so power on my territory here. He 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 so hated this, no. the, the withholding, that when you went, the way he set it up was that you would go to payroll and go to one window. And they would peel you out your weekly paycheck in cash. And then you had to go to the next window and pay the man what the federal government was demanding. And just to sort of remind the workers what they were really being paid versus um, what what Uncle Sam was taking out of it. So related, I've been a big advocate of price transparency as sort of the foundational way to solve our healthcare mess in this country. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's in there too. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Marty Macari is someone you should have on this podcast. He's writing a lot of great stuff on that. Um, the, I do think one domain of transparency we I haven't talked as much about, but we're working on some stuff, is transparency between the employer and the employee about how much of your potential wage is actually going to subsidize your health care plan. So mm-hmm. some way to just make employees aware that the reason real wages are at a 30-year low is because that marginal dollar is going towards right. health care or whatever, I right. think, makes a ton of sense. All right. So I like this one. Announce that the U.S. will allow one country – to accede to statehood, Great. run the selection as a vickery auction to select the new state. I don't know that phrase, vickery auction. I don't know what it means either. Um, like the vicar of... It's capitalized, vickery auction. i got to look it up. Do this once a decade until we own all the land and the money. I'm not sure that part follows, but this is from George Purcell. I like this. Wait, wait. How, okay, so how does this work? One, a, state, uh, a country gets to apply to become a state. Uh-huh. How does the auction aspect of it work? I, well, it's I'm, confused. Sorry. I'm calling up the Vickery Auction Wikipedia page right now. Okay. And? Apparently a real thing. It's a type of sealed bid auction. Bidders submit written bids without knowing the bid of the other people in the auction. Oh. The highest bidder wins, but the price paid is the second highest bid. So they have to pay us to join the union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. But then we – so how would this be How would this be approved? I mean, presumably we would make the decision, we being Congress, about whether – we wanted to accept the bid, right? Yeah, I mean that's the problem. Is, is like, and then we get full statehood, right? I mean, you uh-huh. get the two senators, the whole shebang. Presumably, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking quarter baked, but interesting. I like. I mean, it's you know, I like the spirit of this one. Yeah, I mean, it's like. But the, is there like, a way to make the Greenland thing part of this? <laughs> or well, I, I you know look, I mean, I, I like they pay us rather than us buying Greenland. Well, I mean, right now there probably aren't a lot of countries that want to become states what but um i think you need to expand this to provinces of various places right so catalonia they mm. might be might be interested parts of canada might want to come our way uh this is an interstate thing but the upper peninsula of michigan mm-hmm. upers up used to belong to wisconsin until mm-hmm. ohio and michigan had a dispute over toledo mm-hmm. and congress resolved the dispute by giving what was part of wisconsin territory to Michigan, mm-hmm. I border that, and those are all Packers fans up there. So, some way True. in which I can get that back, mm-hmm. 
I don't know how we do that. Maybe the vicar thing could be brought into the. Well, I mean, vicary is going to become like AI and blockchain, just words I deploy in sentences to sound <laughs> like. Well, I mean, getting back to where we started this conversation about who you could beat in Congress, right? If we instead sort of took some hum- Hunger Game principles and elected reps based on their ability, their fighting ability. Yes. And then made some of these kinds of questions about like what enclaves of other states belong to us. You could do a kind of Hunger Games thing where you have fights, maybe to the death, maybe not. We can figure that part out later. Um, and the winner gets their claim um, granted. Yeah, this was actually also sort of suggested that that not it's not in that uh, in that master list. But uh-huh. The idea of allowing states to fight amongst each other for territory. Uh huh. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Or like, didn't I talk about boxing Justin Trudeau on the last podcast? I think you did. You could, states could elect to have their, you know, leaders fight each other to resolve disputes. I mean, uh, it would actually be much more civilized. Another one that was suggested is um, that the the subject line for this email that I got that the account got was simply "wrestle for Jerusalem." Those <laughs> <laughs> leaders of talk about cauliflower ears. Um, <laughs> the leaders of the of the of the contested groups within uh, that area just get to. Every week they wrestle. They send their champions up and they they wrestle for it. So for control of the city. Boxing, boxing Trudeau, boxing Justin Trudeau. Well, this is a real thing. Trudeau became famous because he boxed a conservative MP uh-huh. who was supposed to be really tough, and Trudeau was kind of a pretty boy. Yeah, and Trudeau actually beat him. Yeah, uh, there's a whole YouTube thing about it. So the re- but the reason I wanted to return to it is it vaguely reminds me there was this funny. The only one I can remember, I can only remember one of them. But Letterman once did a top ten list of phrases that sound gay but aren't. And the one I remember is shaking hands with Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> um, and um, I remember I, I once wrote a column about how... Uh, um, oh, boy. We're, it's, we were uh, talking about we'd killed... Um, <laughs> we'd killed some cleric in the war on terror, and he was only had one eye, and I was like, you know... Pounding the one-eyed cleric oh, <laughs> kind of has a certain sound, but like boxing Justin, boxing Justin Trudeau has a, could not make those jokes. Not today, no, because yeah. we're not allowed to be funny anymore. Yeah, and so for, so for the record, I object to all of this. I understand. Well, I mean, the reason why I can bring this stuff up now is that yeah. only people with a certain amount of goodwill towards us are still listening. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> hour three of epic <laughs> ideas. Um, all right. So, is, Jack, am I missing anyone that you really want me to bring up that I've forgotten or overlooked? <sighs> Um, there are a bunch of ones that, all right, so this is the list of ones you can, this is uh, the guest's choice, right? Um, this is the one that, um, this is the list of ones that were suggested by a large number of people. Uh, one I've talked, the first one is one I've talked about before, ban senators from running for president. I love, didn't we talk about that? I think we did. I love that. Yeah. Um, give children the vote, but their parents get until the kids are 18, sell Puerto Rico, um, a vickery swap? Yeah, that was suggested as well, like Puerto Rico for Greenland. Um, I, I would take that. Um, look, I mean, I like Puerto Rico. I've been to Puerto Rico. Oh, um, a lot of friends who are Puerto Rican. No, 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 no. But, like, like, I would just much rather be in Greenland for this in the summertime than, than Puerto Rico. And I, 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 wanna get, I don't want to get rid of Puerto Rico. I'm fine with Puerto Rico. Um, House of Representatives should have some members selected, like, jury duty. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Restrict the vote for net benefiters of government payments. That would destroy the Republican Party. Um, and I don't know. I think it would it would cut. 
equally in, un, in unpredictable uh, ways. I think probably it would almost certainly be unconstitutional, but yeah. Uh, um, constitution. Yeah, this, is called, this isn't the Constitution episode. Uh, <laughs> this one is only going to work if if we have some sort of magic monkey paw. Uh, make the electoral college matter again. Um, and in fact, it kind of does matter because yeah. it won the last election. So well, it was it matters the, that my, that was sort of my catch-all for people wanting uh, electoral college electors to be elected popularly. Oh, oh, so they're and they're not committed to the popular vote because that yeah. I'd be down with that. Well, I think just having more interesting conventions would uh-huh. be on balance a good thing. So drama would yeah, be. where you don't actually know the outcome. Yeah. Oh, so um um. Uh, Longtime friend of mine, um, I don't know if he would want me to use his name, but he knows who he is. I saw him at the commentary dinner. Uh, he suggested that um, – Was it Duke Tate? Was it- <laughs> um, uh, that uh, his half-baked idea was – I want to get it right. So Nebraska, its electoral system is by district, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. This, this was suggested also. I tried Nebraska for Greenland, to be clear. Oh. Um, uh, Just kidding, oh. Ben. Uh Make the entire country um, the same system so that the Electoral College is determined by the congressional district, not by the state. And that would have all sorts of interesting changes to – Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we can come back to that in a second. So you may not win Illinois as a Republican, but you could win you know, a few districts. Right. It, it, oh, sol- it, it solves some of the, I think, largely unfounded majoritarian complaints. Um, uh, and it, Without giving uh, – too much power to just L.A. and New York. Right, right. That's an interesting comment. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, there's something there. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, ban C-SPAN from Capitol Hill. Build. A... 100% agree on that one, by the way. <laughs> no, seriously. It's a perverse effect of the sunshine laws in the Senate. I mean, yeah. everything's on TV. I mean, it's it's a fine line. I, you want everything behind closed doors, but I totally agree on that. Um, build a space elevator. Um, <laughs> I'm... I'm it's like Willy Wonka. Well, this this used to be like Glenn Reynolds big in the early days of the blogosphere. This was like his obsession was, you know. Um, what happened to Peter Thiel building like libertarian seasteading islands? I think he still their likes it. But countries. There, 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 there seem to be some logistical issues involved. Um, I kind of like the idea. How did we get outmaneuvered by the Chinese Communist Party on island building? I, I agree. That's yeah. a huge problem. Um, no one should live in D.C.? I don't know that that would necessarily solve the problems that they think it would solve. But no, not even citizens. So, yeah, so it should be only, only the, the way this was put is that only employees should. There should be no residential zoning in the entire city. Everyone would have just live in Virginia and Maryland. That is interesting. Hmm. Except um, for con- except for the congressional barracks. Right. <laughs> and so what, what, the rest would just sort of be like in Logan's Run the. Plant life and wildlife would overtake the existing buildings. I mean, what? 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 <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, do, do you expect the idea to suggest what to do with the existing residential zone? I, I just want more information. We got to put the plants. That's where we put your plants. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. There's somewhere there in here. There's a grand unified, fully baked <laughs> uh, theory about how to bring all these together. Uh, universal tuition vouchers uh, and school choice. I don't think that's really a half-baked thing um that's like just, a thing that's just happens. people are trying to do but it's very hard to do politically um all right so those are the ones that came in from a lot of different people it's good uh i liked uh david laubenberg said make the irs audit federal agencies and contractors not taxpayers as someone who's been audited twice <laughs> in the last two years i have that's no an interesting with that. idea yeah 
Um, huh. You might be able to get to the bottom of Who audits why... the auditors, though, Jonah? Oh. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was weird for son of sexual tension. <laughs> it was... A... <laughs> uh, uh, it would help get to the bottom of why it's so difficult to find out who makes marine pull-up bars or That's right. get them made. Like $3,000. Um, so we can't have nice things. Uh, this is not... I mean, Shay uh, Katiri... This is an old idea that's been going around in Washington for a very long time, um, which I'm not opposed to. A constitutional amendment that requires all laws to have a sunset clause, let's say 10 years. That's um, a fully baked – I think – That's uh, a real idea. That's been around for Problem a solvers or no labels put out a thing – was, I think it was a 15-year sunset. Yeah. And it had like 85% approval rating. That makes enormous sense to me. By the way, sunset all the existing authorizations for the use of military force that are yeah, on yeah, the that'd books. Yeah, that would be good. If you actually – like I actually, when I was a staffer, had CRS go through all the past AUMFs. Uh-huh. And technically, you know, the 57 – Authorization to invade the whole Middle East, if we wanted to, is still on the books. Right. There's like a weird AUMF related to logging disputes in Florida from the early days of the Republic. I mean, you got to you got to clean the the books out a little bit before we talk about new AUMFs. Well, so uh, and uh, for Mister Anti Acronym, AUMF oh, is thanks. authorization for the use, use of military use force. of military force, and um, it's the sort of uh, cheap Hong Kong knockoff of a declaration of war. Indeed. Um, I think one of the reasons I've come around uh, to the idea of a five- or seven-year sunset provision for the 2001 AUMF, there's a 2002 AUMF against Iraq that we still cite from time to time for dubious constitutional authority. By the way, the president always cites the inherent authority under Article 2 to do a variety of these things too, which I think is dubious, uh, is that it would it would it not force – it would let, let's say we were still engaged in Afghanistan and needed to be for whatever purpose – it would force the president to then come to Congress and make, make a, a case, case for, okay, I need renewed authority. Right. If you don't give it to me, here's what would happen. I mean, that's the debate we're not having right, right. now. Um, but a sunset clause could force us to have the debate. Yeah. All right. So enough of this substance. Yeah. What? What? This yeah, is, what I is that not I apologize. For this. I apologize. Yeah. Um, From a legal perspective, though, I feel like you can make a far better case for what we're doing in Afghanistan under the 2001 AUMF mm-hmm. than you can in Iraq. Certainly in Syria, mm-hmm. certainly in any other country around the world, right? Certainly what we've done in Libya in, in recent history. Um, most Americans were surprised to learn that we had a military presence in Africa in certain countries. Right. Uh, most members of Congress were surprised by that. <laughs> um, so I, I think we've sort of taken the initial 2001 AMF and driven a truck through it and expanded it beyond the bounds of its statutory recognition. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to go back to substance. Let's go back to... Space no, no, lasers. I, I, okay. No, I, I, and we, no, we, this is sports. the right. You know, this, we backloaded a little substance. I have ten minutes. So should we should we rank our top, or do you want to go through the ones we haven't covered? I think. Well, we've gone through a lot of them, um, and I'm sure more are going to come in um, um, soon enough. But of the ones, so of the ones I read that were multiple entries, is, were there any that was? Ban centers from running for president. I talk about that all the time. Give children the vote. But the That's a no-brainer, yeah. We are talking about that. Sell Puerto Rico. Let's not go back there. Um, you seem to be intrigued by the jury duty selection of, of representatives. I was intrigued by that. There was also the uh, the tax day and voting day on the uh-huh. same day. I really liked that one. Uh-huh. I think my favorite was John from Madison, have a layman <laughs> compete in professional individual I like sports. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what were some other good ones? That'd also be fun for like acting. 
or you know, like in movies, just have some random dude on there, like <laughs> reminds you how good the real actors are. <laughs> or every once in a while, maybe you'll find a real talent. Or you might find a real talent. True. That's right. That's, that's true. Right. That's right. I mean, it's sort of sort of the story of Rocky to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, he. I mean, he wrote the screenplay, right? Yeah. I mean, he had. He had a little bit of... Well, he means the story of the film, Rocky, not the oh, story yeah, 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 of the yeah. actor Sylvester Stallone. But it's also kind of the story of Sylvester Stallone, too, because he was, like, living in a bus station or something. Yeah, he was just... I think his one of his first movie roles was just as an extra in the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which uh-huh. nobody has seen. Did you know it had a sequel? I, I saw, oh, yeah. oh, I saw Staying it. Alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Staying Alive, right? No, no, that's... that's... Oh, yeah. Is that... No, no, he was already a thing. He, like, directed that. The sequel well, to that was John Travolta. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or maybe Travolta, but it, like yeah. his, Frank Stallone, his brother. <laughs> I uh, thought we were talking about Frank. Did like the sta- the soundtrack for? I mean, like that. He was already an established guy by then. Um, you're you're confusing really important issues here. Um, but I, I've seen the sequel. Have you seen the sequel to uh, Saturday Night Fever? Uh, no, I have not. It's very bad. Really? It is. It is. It is. It is not as bad as the. I don't think I've even seen the original Saturday Night Fever. That's honest. a weirder movie than people think it is. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, it's just like this fun dance movie. It is kind of a gritty 1970s sad sack kind of movie. Yeah. Um, but the sequel kind of like is – it's like where John Travol- the John Travolta character decides to become a real dan- a professional dancer. And for like dramatic tension or whatever, the whole point is whether or not he can like – make this gigantic leap on stage at a dance performance. And it's, it's really, it's bad. And everyone's like oiled up and sweaty. It's it's very disturbing. But it's not nearly as bad as Caddyshack 2, which is the... Oh, never seen it. Oh, it's a hate crime. Never seen it. Yeah, no. Didn't you put out a call on uh, Twitter for Netflix recommendations recently? I did, I did. And yo, you had some. I uh, I only have one. I've gotten rid of my Netflix uh, really? subscription. Uh, but I'm going to recommend Dairy Girls, which is about... Uh, you don't you don't like it? No, I don't know. I just like like the sound of it. Oh, it's uh You sick. Yeah, that was I feel weird. Yeah. Is there a cold shower in the AI. There is actually. Yeah. Um it's about a group of Catholic schoolgirls in Londonderry in Northern Ireland. Oh, so it's not dairy as in like Wisconsin. No, no, no. That would be even better. We okay, should do yeah, it. Yeah. That would be the remake. Yeah, it would be like the British office becomes the American. I office. was thinking like milkmaids, yeah, 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 yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, the D E R R Y. Oh, okay. And it's uh-huh. Hilarious. Okay. It's absolutely hilarious. It's it's hard to follow along just because their accents are so very Irish. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's uh, it's amazing. So that's the only recommendation I got. By the way, on Rocky, uh-huh. are we not prepared to say that the Rocky franchise is top three most successful movie franchises of all time? And I don't know if that's true from a monetary perspective, but a longevity perspective, combined with reboot. And I'm on record saying Creed is the greatest movie of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, tell me what's better than that. Yeah, although, did you see, like, Rocky V? Rocky V, Tommy Gunn? Um, that, that, that doesn't exist. That didn't happen. Um, yeah. Where my favorite of sort of Rocky coaching is uh, uh, where he explains, like a windshield wiper, and he shows how you go back and forth like a windshield wiper. Um, but, I, I, but since you brought it up, Maybe. Um, uh, Star Wars, I guess, would be in that category. Yeah, I mean, certainly if we're doing financial. But, the, but there are more bad Star Wars movies than there are Rocky movies. For sure. Um, Only one bad Rocky movie. Rocky, Rocky 4 is not... Amazing. Mm-hmm. What? 
That's not a bad movie. Are you, are you a communist? Um, I just get out of here. That's the training montage in Rocky. It's awesome. War. I agree. I agree. It's There's it's just actually roll call. I think did an article when I was training for the 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 race last uh. year, and I I made an offhand comment that it's kind of like Rocky Four. Cotton Tom Cotton's in you know in a high intensity. He's got like uh, you know electrodes hooked up to him, and I'm just in the mountains doing squats with a, you uh-huh. know, a, a piece of wood. And they spliced in clips from Rocky IV. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, I have not seen the new Rambo movie. Oh, there's a new Rambo. Oh yeah, yeah. And so apparently it is. Um, it's ba- I, I, I get all my information from Twitter, so of course it's accurate. But my understanding from that in the trailer is that it's basically taken, but with Rambo. And you've seen the movie Taken, the Liam Neeson movie. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So. Um, which the one and only piece I ever wrote for for the Breitbart universe, which uh, and it was for John Nolte before he lost his mind, was an homage to Taken as the ultimate dad vengeance movie. Right? If you watch Taken, every single thing about it is like Liam Neeson is not getting the respect. Right? He's sort of been like shown up by a richer um, dude who marries his ex wife. Um, He's his daughter is rolling her eyes at everything he says when he warns her about how you have to be careful when you're traveling abroad. Oh, dad, I know. Right. Like um, he gets no respect every time he says something. People think he's just an old fogey, whatever. And then the rest of the movie is like, dad, I told you so like vindication. And that's the whole thing. Like she literally goes to Paris and is immediately like kidnapped and then his whole thing is like, see, I told you this would happen, right? You know, anyway, I think it's brilliant to do it with Rambo, but it, start, it got me thinking, what other movies could you do, like, Taken with, right? Oh, and, interesting. I mean, like, my dinner with Andre doesn't quite work, but, um, uh, and, and like, Predator is probably a bridge too far. <laughs> what about a bridge too far? Uh, mm. <laughs> bridge of the River Kwai. Uh, my obsession is, like, movies where a small tweak could have made it way better. And oh. so I was thinking about this while watching Passengers on a flight recently. I'm sorry. So that's the uh the uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh Chris Pratt. Yeah. You, you, you see I've it, seen right? it. I've yeah. seen it. Not a great movie. Not a great. Could have been. But and I don't really remember the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you had instead so he he frees her from the little freeze thing, uh-huh. right? So you're Spoiler in on the joke yeah. the whole time, right? What if the movie started from her perspective? Where we just see her waking up, and we don't know that he did it. it. I like it. And then it's gradually revealed, and it more becomes like a weird, creepy horror thing. Like it devolves from their romance into that as opposed to what it was. Which I think that's a great idea. Small tweak. They they could have just edited that. Yeah, I mean it's sort of Sixth Sense-y kind of thing. Yeah. Like have you ever seen the trailers where uh, there's a great one for The Shining? Yeah. Where all it it really takes is playing – um, Salisbury Hill. Salisbury Hill from Peter Gabriel to make it seem like it's this great uplifting movie. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, but that is fantastic. Um, for the readers. The actual for the readers. readers for, the, show notes. for the readers. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we, should we end with a defense? We've talked about, I think, what made our initial podcast uh-huh. so great. Uh-huh. And the reason it became such a phenomenon. Right. It's true. The nation, it is, yeah. Is that we went, we started off with a very serious topic. I think I just written this article on congressional reform, which uh-huh. I continue to believe in. But then we just kind of naturally went to this topic of half-baked ideas, and we talked about movies and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I think we'll get some pushback from the readers, uh-huh. not the listeners, the readers, <laughs> about 
you know, let's let's end with a defense, not only of the need to have, to to engage with movies and literature, but of half baked ideas uh-huh. in general. Do you believe it improves your uh, core competency as a writer, as a public intellectual? I do. I think it's you know, it's it's. Um, I mean, I don't want to go all Robert Kennedy here and say you know some people see the world as it is and ask why. I wake up and see the world, look at the world as it is and ask why, the way it could be and ask why not. I mean, let's not get crazy. We're not going to like, you know, I mean, I know that Elizabeth Warren wants to convert unicorn poop into renewable energy. Um, but I do think it's big if true. There is a real latency problem, in particularly in Washington, about how we just assume that because things have been done this way, they have to be done this way. And shaking that up and just thinking a little bit outside of your comfort zone, I think, is actually pretty useful. Well, I think – so I'd say one thing. I, part of the reason I, I love – I mean, you know, obviously, if, if you're from Green Bay, the Packers are, like, just part of your life and your soul. But part of the reason I love sports so much is it allows people to have something in common at mm-hmm. a time when it seems like we don't have much in common or people just want to pick fights over everything. And I think – I find talking about culture or just, you know, your hobbies as a, an entry point into having a dialogue with someone that you might otherwise disagree with. Two, as far as half-baked ideas are, are concerned, I just would say not everything we talked about today was – crazy right no, I, I mean our, a, a lot of what our country was founded on started off as, as half-baked ideas that were baked Absolutely. over the course of a long period of time it's interesting i was uh rereading the virginia plan that madison sort of showed up with he showed up with early to he showed up early to the constitutional convention and, that, and he, it's there's this great i don't know where it comes from but i think maybe his own autobiography and he talks about how he went into the area and he spent a lot of time thinking about which desk he was going to choose, right? And he situated himself right at the front in between both sides so he could hear everything that was going on and therefore kept the most detailed mm-hmm. notes. And, you know, he basically wrote the version of history that everybody relies upon and agrees is the most accurate. But, I mean, the Virginia plan had a lot of really interesting things that formed the foundation of our Constitution, but a lot of stuff we would look back on today is totally half-baked. But the mm-hmm. basic structure was there, right? It was sort of three branches of government. Interestingly enough, I believe he wanted to give the federal government – the ability to veto uh, state legislation they didn't like. So for the guy who's sort of, I think, in history remembered as less of the national government guy and more of the state's rights mm-hmm. guy, he had a lot of provisions initially in the Virginia plan that we would think were absurd and give the federal government yeah, too much that's, power. That's a bad idea. Yeah. 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 What else? No, like, yeah, look, I mean, look, I mean, the, probably the, the signature most emblematic half-baked idea maybe of the last 200 years is stuffed crust pizza. Right. I mean, like, as, as Elaine says in Seinfeld, it's going to be years before they figure out a new place to put cheese on a pizza. Um, you know, I thought you were going to do some like like individual no, you know, I, you natural know, rights. I'm, I'm, I, I, I do a lot of that these days. And um, stuffed crust pizza. Stuffed crust pizza is pretty awesome. Gallagher's uh, Pizza in Greenville, Wisconsin, does not offer a stuffed crust. Any relation? Uh, yeah, my dad started it. I did not know 1996, that. 1996, Italian food, Irish spirit. Uh-huh. Indeed. Irish pizza. Um, uh, what could go wrong? Yeah. Um, uh, it's like I, Irish pizza is one of those phrases that com- calls to mind things like British dentistry. <laughs> um, uh, do you have pizza with potatoes on it? We do. Okay. So yeah. I, rest I think I don't remember. We actually might, I should full disclosure. My dad sold it a few years ago, so I have no, uh-huh. I have no interest in the, the burgeoning Gallagher's pizza empire, but I wish it well because it bears our family name still. Um, and we should let listeners know, we'll close with this. Uh, congratulations are in order. You're getting married. Indeed, in a few days. It's a few days, really? Yeah. Um, marriage is good. 
I'll tell That's you. What I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And I'm um, happy wife equals happy life. That's an important. Principle. Also, what I've heard, and I have observed firsthand how you outkicked your coverage and married well beyond your station. And I did. I, uh, I'm proud to report I'm doing the same, and uh-huh. so I will. I, I will try to uh, be as successful as you've been. If you don't marry up, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, and she's a some sort of actress. Uh, she's, a, she's a Wisconsinite. I okay. mean, she's All from right. Green Bay originally, and so uh-huh. she's been in uh, been in New York the last decade. Did, did you ever see Diner? Uh, Diner. No, but they've made a musical out of that. Have they really? And I know because she's a Broadway actress. Okay, so, so I know an inordinate amount about Broadway that I never knew before. There's this great scene in Diner where um, I think it's Steve Gutenberg back when uh, before the the Stonecutters made him into a much bigger star, um, where uh, he's a crazy Baltimore Colts fan, right? Oh wait, I'm thinking of Waitress. I think there's no. a movie called Waitress that they yep. made into a yeah. Gary Russell. Sorry, different, totally thing. different, totally thing. different thing. So Diner's supposed to be good. Diner's a classic. It's yeah. a great movie. It's set in, in, in like 1950s, 1960s Baltimore. And Steven Gutenberg is a crazy Baltimore Colts fan. And he's going to get – he's engaged. But first, his fiance has to pass his Baltimore Colts uh, knowledge test. <laughs> and she gets like a 63 or something like that. And there's this great line where Gutenberg just goes – it's out of my hands. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> and so if she failed a Packers test, would you still marry her? Well, she would pass with flying colors. She's a huge Packers fan. She has season tickets. I don't. So that, uh, that's why you're marrying She's actually debating right now which she wants to get a new jersey, and it's a huge thing because sometimes you buy these jerseys and the player gets traded. I think uh-huh. her last one was a Clay Matthews jersey. So we're having an epic debate about which jersey is the best for, like, longevity purposes. Because you don't want to buy a Rodgers jersey that's too – Played out. Uh-huh. I wear a Bart Starr jersey just because that's timeless and it's never sure. going out of style. So I'm trying to make an argument for go with one of the old players, like a Jerry Kramer jersey. That would be, oh, yeah. that would be cool. I All actually right. tried to get her to wear a Jerry Kramer jersey on our wedding day, but that didn't. That got vetoed. So um, by who? <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got to go. Uh, congratulations and all that. Uh, you'll let us know what jersey she chose the next time you come on. Indeed, and we'll probably be doing more half baked ideas in the future. I look forward to it. This was an absolute pleasure. And Jonah, thank you for everything you're doing. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. It's essential. Well, that makes one of us. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Feisty. Jackie Butts. Joe going butts. (laughs) Goodbye. I wrote them down at home the other day, and I got them. <laughs> you got a week his? ago. I got wrote a little half baked ideas on a sheet of paper here while I was in a committee hearing. <laughs> um, Our hardworking politicians. Can you get a little closer, or bring that mic a little closer to you? Yeah, I like to move around. It's my problem. You know, I'm the fastest man in Congress, Jack. It's just hard for me to stay still. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yep.